Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast in the class is dedicated today in honor of Bobby Shamzian, Eliyahu Ben Zion, and Louisa by his wife Alyssa in celebration of the completion of their Shanari Shona of marriage. And it is a chut of all the singles in Am Israel to find their zivug speedily. What a beautiful dedication, Azakub Baruch. It's also dedicated today in the loving memory of Devorah Shifra uh, Bat Mirul. Okay, let's begin. There's a fascinating example, Rabbi in this week's parasha um, that illustrates to us, in some ways, a completely different perspective as to how we are supposed to, you and I, are supposed to see our, uh, our Jewish journey. Okay, let's begin. The Torah tells us that Yaakov Avinu loves Rachel. He loves her in the most unbelievable way. And in this process and in this time where he's working for his father-in-law, for Lavan, for seven years for his wife. Seven years. The Mepharshim say, how come it was seven years? Why didn't he offer? Was he? It sounds like he wasn't Jewish. The guy don't know how to bargain. Right? He walks in, he says, you know what, I'm going to give you seven years. Start with one year. The guy says two, three, you know, the guy says five, you say three. You know, you know how it works. You know, Yaakov, Hazit, Yaakov is like the guy, you don't know, he goes to the shuk. They tell him five shekel. Yaakov says ten shekel. What do you, that's not how it works. Right? And I saw a beautiful peshat that they say, Rabbeinu Bahayeh writes, that at the time when he came to Lavan, Rachel was five years old. So... He knew he wanted to marry Rachel, but he knew he wanted to marry her only as a gedola. So what did he do? He told her, I'll work for you for seven years. And that way, by then, she was already a gedola. And at that point, he could, he could marry. A fascinating insight into this, uh, into this thing. But how, whatever the case might be, Yaakov Avinu works seven long years. And the pasuk says something that all of the commentators jump on. They ask, it says... And, and the time, the seven years he worked for his, for his wife, for Rachel, for this, the love of his life, they were like single days. And his great love for Rachel Imenu. And the question that everybody asks is, you know, if you, if you didn't like your wife, then seven years would seem like a very short amount of time. If you did like your wife, and you were waiting to be married to her, seven, seven years should feel like dog years, like 49 years. Right? That's what it should feel like. It seems like the Pasuk is saying it the opposite way around. Right? Since he loved her, like, I don't know, you know, sometimes you, know, you, sometimes you have a guy, can't wait to be married. You know, the days are passing so slowly. You know, they sell now for Khatan and Kala, they have like a little thing that you could buy, and it has like a countdown to the wedding day, right? So for the kala, they make it beautiful. You know, it's, uh, you know, pink and rainbows and, uh, you know, and clouds. Then I saw one that they make for the groom, for the, bra- for the guy. And it has the same countdown numbers, but it's on five sticks of dynamite. <laughs> yeah, and he's counting down to the explosion. They say this story about this young girl who's sitting next to her mom at a wedding, and, and the mom says, uh, she asks the mom, she says, Mom, you know, how come the bride is wearing white? She said, because white 
is the symbol of happiness, of joy, of purity. And therefore the kala on the wedding day, she wears a, a wedding gown made of the purest white. And the kid says, so then why is the khatan wearing a black tuxedo? I will tell you, understand, sometimes you could have people who are looking at a wedding in a very different way. You know, she's dying to get there. You don't want to, you know, this is the last day of his freedom. Sometimes you have people like that. But here we know it's the opposite. Yaakov is desperate to marry Rachel. He, he was so excited. He was so excited. That's why when a chatan comes to shul, we say, we tell him, oh, no, we don't say, Anna, we don't, we don't say, I'm sorry, Takadosh Baruch because you're going to be saying sorry for the rest of your life. We give you one week off, Yanni. So, you know, no, you say we tell the guy, right? So here, there's, a, there's no, 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 Rabbi Tai, there's an idea over here that, that that's the, you know, sometimes people joke around about these things. But the funny thing is, here the Torah is telling you how much he loved her. He couldn't wait to marry her. And yet, the seven years that he worked for her, they were like one day. So I always saw, you know, uh, different ideas related to this. I'm sure many of you have heard this question before. Um, and it's also been related in many uh, sefarim. It's also been related to the idea of counting down that we have during Sefirat Omer. But I'd like to present maybe a little bit of a different opinion, a little bit of a different uh, angle on this. Something that I saw brought down in the name of Rabbi Dr. Tversky. Amazing insight. So beautiful. You know, there was a, uh, um, there was a tremendous rabbi. His name was Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Herman. He unfortunately was married before the war, okay? And after the war was over, he very quickly after when he moved to Israel, so he found another a young woman and he got remarried and tried to rebuild his life. They had a beautiful marriage, this, this rabbi and his wife, and they were married for over 40 years. But unfortunately, they were never blessed with children. After his wife passed away at the shiva, the rabbi is talking, you know, people that were coming, his wife is, you know, they're all trying to give him the, you know, the, the uh, comfort, the nichuma the, velim. And at the shiva, the rabbi is talking about his wife, da, 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 da. And for the first time, it comes out that not only did the rabbi have a wife who was murdered by the Nazis, Yemach Shemam, in the war, but that he also had a baby girl, an infant daughter, that was also murdered by the Nazi beasts. And everyone was so surprised. They know the rabbi for so long, not one time did they ever hear about the fact that he once had a child and that that child was murdered. People are very surprised. So they said, Rabbi, you know, you've always talked to us, you know, about your past. We know, you know you for so long. How come you never mentioned that you had a daughter. The only time we're hearing about the fact that you lost a child, a baby, Lo'alenu, is now at the shiva of your wife. And the rabbi said, when I first got married to my wife, I didn't bring it up because it was too painful. But as time went on, and we were unable to have children, I decided never to mention that I had once had a child. Because Bar Minan, maybe God forbid, my wife would feel bad 
my new wife, that our childlessness was her fault. Because look, he was able to have a child before. So if I didn't mention it, so in her head she could think, maybe the problem's not with me, maybe the problem's with him. So the first time I'm talking about it, it's now after she's passed on to the Ulam HaEmet. I read this story, I was crying. You think about a Sadiq like this, who could keep that to himself, never to mention, quiet, all for the sake and for the, with sensitivity, in, like superhuman sensitivity to the way his new wife would feel. Unbelievable. Rabotai, this man, this man, Rav Kahaneman said about him that he was absolutely sure that he was one of the 36 Sadiqim that live in every generation, the 36 hidden Sadiqim that sustain the whole world in their merit. The world exists because of the Lamed Vav Sadiqim. Powerful. Now you hear a story like that, you understand it. So I was wondering to myself, you read something like that, never mind being sensitive for a minute to the, to the garbage man. We always talk about being uh, sensitive, being appreciative to the person who checks you out, to a waiter, to, the, to a doorman. But to think of that kind of sensitivity to your own wife. You know, I don't know about you, I'm sure all of you are tremendous tzaddikim. You're number 37, 38, 39, 40 of the great hidden tzaddikim. But I know I'm not one of them. I don't have that level of sensitivity to my own wife. And I read this story and I thought to myself, what am I supposed to take from it? We know in Judaism, a person is always supposed to ask, as the Gemara says, Matai yagiyu ma'asai, when will my deeds match to the deeds of my parents, of, my, of the avot, hakedoshim, of the great rabbis. When you hear a story, it's almost as if Hakadosh Baruch Hu was telling you that story for you to hear. Rav Shlomo Kabach used to say, that the greatest storyteller in the world, or oh, the greatest storyteller in the world, is The greatest storyteller in the world is Hashem. When Hashem makes sure that you hear a story, or you see a story, you witness something, Hashem put it there for you to be able to learn something from. So I looked at this story and I thought to myself, you know, I don't know if I could contain my display. If I don't like what, you know, what we're eating, for, where my wife chose for us to go have a dinner, I find it difficult to mask my displeasure. Oh, you want to go to that place? Okay, well, yeah, fine. Yeah, let's spend $200 on pasta. <laughs> right? You know, no Jewish man in the history of the world is happy to go to a dairy restaurant and plunk down that kind of money for pizza. It doesn't, you know, pasta, exactly, for a piece of pasta, you know, a pasta. For a steak, the guy would mortgage his home, right? But, <laughs> but go make me spend that money for dessert, in my Israel. My most favorite dessert, batia, you know? <laughs> I'm not in, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'll go for the, you want me to get dessert? We'll go to Dunkin' Donuts, the kosher one. We'll spend 75 cents on a donut that was made in Canadian. Okay, Rabotai, the idea here is very powerful. So I thought to myself, what, is, what do I, how could we do something like that? How could we... Uh, forego something? How could we be more sensitive in what it is that we're going to communicate 
with our significant others, with our spouses. And I read this answer, the answer of Rabbi Avram, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Torsi, and it gave me such chizuk. How come it says that Yaakov, who loved his wife so much, who worked for her for seven years, it was kiyamim achadim, it was like one day, it was single days. Rabbi Abraham Torsky was a, is not just a great rabbi, but he is a person of tremendous insight. And his area of expertise, Rabotai, is as a psychologist dealing with addictions. And Rabbi Torsky said, one of the biggest lessons that you learn in dealing with addictions is that a person needs to take their life, their challenges, one day at a time. Says Rabbi Torsky, that's what it means, kiyamim achadim. He was faced with this seven-year gulf, a space between him and the woman he loved so much more than life itself. How's he supposed to deal with seven years? The only way he could deal with it was, kiyamim achadim, one day at a time. He woke up in the morning and said, I have one more day, one more day, that I need to go out there and work. And one more day. You know, when you're in a basketball game and you're losing by 10 points, you can't think to yourself, how are we going to score 10 points? There's no 10-point play in basketball. So what do you focus on? Two points, hit the layup. What do you focus on? Shoot the three. And if you shoot the three, if you focus on the next play, if you execute the next play right, and then you score. And then what do you yell at your defense? Guys, come on, one stop. Just let's, one time, let's stop them from scoring. One time. And then when you stop them from scoring, one shot. So the question is, how does a person get to that level of sensitivity of Rav Yaakov Moshe Herman? How does a person achieve that? The answer is they don't. They achieve one thing, one day. The Pasuk tells us that um, a person who's trying to keep the words of the Torah, what should he say? A person should say, that God says, like I commanded you today. So one interpretation of that Pasuk is that a person should say each day, it's as if Hashem commanded me today. It's fresh. Like I just got Har Sinai, we left Har Sinai, 8.30 in the morning, now we're having coffee. We just came from Mount Sinai. Where were you? You're dusty. I know I was in Mount Sinai. <laughs> it's, I was just there. I can't break the mitzvah, he just gave it to me. Right? Like Hashem says, like I commanded you, today. That's one opinion. The person should see it as if he was commanded that day. But another interpretation would be that he should see it as if he was only commanded for today. If you had to behave just for today, could you manage? Rabotai, uh, Yaakov's testance, Yaakov's patience is tested mightily in this week's parasha. Non-stop, Lavan is tricking him and messing him over. How does a person survive that? I mentioned the other day that you don't find that Yaakov loses his temper one time with Lavan. How does he do that? Yamim achadim. What a beautiful trick. A person's wife is getting them anxious or nervous or their husband is driving them crazy. 
Their kids make them feel like they can't even manage a, another week. You know, I need a vacation right now. You know what the answer is? No problem. Just tomorrow. Just, to, just today. Can you get through today without yelling? Just today. Kiyamim achadim. Rabotai, I want to just end, if I can, our little uh, pshat, our little understanding with a very interesting observation. You know, Yaakov Avinu, when he leaves the house of Lavan, and Lavan chases him down, and Lavan says, you had to leave? Fine. You want to take my family? Fine. Yaakov worked for 21 years. He's like, Habanim banai, the girls are my girls, the children are my children. What are you, you ran away, whatever. All that you see, it's all mine. Yaakov is like, he doesn't respond. How come Yaakov Avinu doesn't pull out his receipt? Shoof, seven years for this one that you sketched me on, by the way. And seven years for this one. And then another seven years for all the... It's unbelievable. I made you rich. That's the, that's the truth. He brought Beracha. Yaakov doesn't, doesn't lose it. How is it possible to hear that? And I want to give you such a beautiful answer. Yaakov sits there, listens, and by the end of the conversation, what happens? Yaakov and Lavan make a pact. Remember the pact at the end of the parasha? They gather the stones, and they make, from all of these stones, they make a little, a mound. And what's the mound called? Gal Ed. Gal means a, a pile of stones. Ed means a witness. Let this be a witness between me and you that you know that we treat each other fairly. That everything's going to be, everything's going to work out okay. And I saw something magnificent in this. And it was only this year that I realized it. You know how Yaakov got to a peace treaty with Lavan instead of punching him in the nose? You know how? I want you to listen one more time to those words. Listen to this. The Pasuk says one more time. <clears throat> Yaakov turns to his children and he says, Liketu avanim. Go gather. I'm sorry, I can't find it, of course, when I'm looking for the page. Right? Liketu avanim. Go gather stones and make them into galed, into a, 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 a little. A little uh, by the way, our rabbis tell us that later on, this uh, galed, this mountain of stones, it has a, a role to play. I don't know if you remember. This mountain of stones later on becomes the mountain that Bil'am presses his leg against. Because in traveling to curse the Jewish people, he was breaking the covenant that he had made that his people, either he was Lavan himself or from his tribe, had made with the children of Israel that they would never be stand up against one another. As soon as, how does Yaakov get there? How does he not explode? How does he not yell at his father-in-law? You know what the answer is? Yaakov saw Liktu avanim, gather stones and make them galed. A return to something that we saw in the beginning of the parasha. In the beginning of the parasha, we have many stones that become one stone underneath Yaakov Avinu's head. 
And at the end of the parasha, we have many stones that join together to become one pile of stones, to become the gal'ed. What's the connection between the many stones in the beginning of the parasha and the many stones in the end of the parasha? This is so beautiful. Yaakov is able to not lose his patience with Lavan. You know why? Because he remembers what happened in the beginning of the parasha. Liktu avanim, that there were many stones that he gathered. He put them under his head and he woke up in the morning and they were one stone. We already explained why. How come this happened? Because all the stones said, tzadik et roshi. All the stones wanted the chance to serve the tzadik. Yaakov Avinu understood. He understood one thing. That the world conspires, the world comes together, the plan, the stories, the incidences that happen in this world, they come together to be able to support us. And if I'm experiencing a very difficult character, then all of that is coming here together in order to be able to support me. So just as the stones, the many stones, eventually provided one rock whose one tafkid was to support me, I understand that the many incidences and stories and circumstances in my life are all there to come together to provide one story which will ultimately support me, will guide me to become the person that I need to become. Yaakov Avinu knows that so long as he's willing to take one step at a time, he'll eventually get there. Rabotai, that's I think also symbolized in Yaakov's dream, when he sees the Sulam. Uh, in the Torah, we learn that the Mizbeach has a ramp. And the reason why the Mizbeach has a ramp is because there's a fundamental difference between a ladder, which you could add a ladder, or steps going up to the Mizbeach. How can we have a ramp? And the answer is, or one of the answers is, because on a ramp, a person could take whatever size step they want. It's still a step forward. In a stair or a ladder, if I want to take a three-inch step, but the step is seven, seven inches, I don't have an intermediate option. I have to take a, pre, a pre-prescribed step of a certain amount to be able to move forward. Yaakov Avinu understood as well this idea, that if a person wants to move forward in Judaism, sometimes I only want to give in this much. I'm willing to do this much. That's not enough for now. Every step forward that a person is supposed to be taking is dictated to him or her by the size of the challenge that's sitting in front of them right now. If this is the Lavan character, this is what I have to deal with. If it's a big step for me, doesn't matter. This is my step right now. The only thing I have to do though is understand that it's only this. I just need to, just one stop, just one score. And Be'ezrat Hashem, with that limited understanding, Yamim Achadim, we're able to move forward in powerful steps forward, reaching, like the Sulam indicated to us, the very heavens. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.